The Singing of the Future by David Francon Davies Chapter 4 What is Singing? Continued There remains yet another contention to dispose of, which has checked the growth of healthy spiritual art, productive and reproductive, the art of composer and vocalist, respectively. This contention appears with the other we have already discussed, and their author, Apthorpe, in his opera Past and Present, typical of a class, supplies the student with much matter for discussion, to the edification of those brother students who need a definition of singing based on organic principles. The author in question merely voices the opinions of a school of thought which delights in calling itself the, quote, scientific, as opposed to the, quote, metaphysical school. He finds himself unable to agree with, for example, Schubert. In his anxiety to prove that the, quote, doing and the ability to do are of greater moment than the thing which is done, if he mean not that, he means nothing, his periods become mere platitudes. This author discovers that a river does not rise at its source. Says he, quote, Let no one rant about the glory of pure genius and music speaking to the heart. The truth that cannot be got rid of is that a general deterioration in technical ability, in the ability to do, in any nation, is a sure diagnostic symptom of artistic decay. End quote. The great point, then, is technique. When a nation has something to say or do, it says or does it. When it does nothing and has not the ability to do, it is because it feels it has nothing in particular to do. Nor is a nation likely to be very busy if it feeds on ideas which confound spirituality with sentimentality. Writing which proceeds on these lines may be, quote, smart, but it does not nourish life. Food of this kind makes no bone. We must not rant, forsooth, about the glory of pure genius, for the means whereby genius expresses itself is the main thing. Composers and vocalists may rave about divine inspiration. This coterie of very superior persons is not to be influenced by any such eccentricity. What does Schubert say to all this? Quote, A lovely melody has just come into my head, if I only had some music paper. End quote. These were his words, after perusing a poem he saw lying on a table in an inn. A ruled bill of fare was handed to him, and the result was, Hark, Hark, the Lark. On another occasion, after he had read the poem, he said to a lady who had asked him to set it to music, quote, I have it. It is already completed and will be quite good. End quote. On his deathbed, he said to Bauernfeld, quote, Entirely new harmonies and rhythms are in my head. End quote. If this be not genius, and the groundwork of Schubert's ability to do, it is strange that we have no more Schubert's. For every Kapellmeister, quote, knows how to write music, but the music is generally Kapellmeisterish for all that. Franz Abt's idea of the Ride of the Valkyries did not coincide with Wagner's, and yet he was quite a prolific writer. Schubert decided, a few weeks before his death, to study counterpoint with Zechter. His friends advised it, candid friends, and he agreed. According to the incredulous class which we are discussing, after all it is the difference between credimus and ignoramus which causes all the dissension, Schubert was a ranter when he spoke of new harmonies and rhythms in his head, 
for according to them he wrote leader because he, quote, knew how, and not because he had them in his heart and soul to write. And yet we are told that his how was defective, for he was to go, a few weeks before he died, to take lessons in counterpoint. Nay, technique is not the main thing, though it is an integral part of it. It will do us no harm to rant a little over genius if and when we find it. To take a simple simile, everyone will concede that though thought must have preceded language, still language helps and enriches thought. So music evolved technique, though it be true that technique has helped to spread and develop music. But the music must be there to begin with. If this be not so, we shall have to reconstruct our ideas of scientific and of all knowledge from their very foundations. Science, by the way, none too soon, is wisely modest. The world of physics, for example, is still a little uncertain of itself since the discovery of radium put another complexion on the doctrine of the conservation of energy. Inspiration can do something without elaborate technique, but technique can do nothing without inspiration except perhaps write nerveless, insipid nonsense. Mozart produced and wrote things down without much interference from the grammarian. A man must perforce learn the language before he can talk, eloquently or otherwise, but knowledge of language will not make a Tennyson, any more than that of musical language will make a Mozart, or a smattering of both, a critic. Technical schools abound in Paris, yet, apparently, Parisian pictorial art generally has not much to say. General technical activity accompanies general spiritual and creative ability, and technique will give adequate expression in the main to the thoughts of genius, while genius will always discover its own technique. The singer's case is parallel to that of the composer and painter. The, quote, personal charm, possibly another name for genius in the rough, quote, counts for a great deal as Monsieur Coquelin, the Prince of Technicians, admits, almost in spite of himself. The bigotry of those who cling to that which is demonstrable to and by the senses is presumably too great to allow them to realize that we do not grow Mozarts and Beethovens in our day, to any great extent at least, although conservatoires abound. Footnote. There may be more geniuses among us than we imagine. Quote, ability to do is general, singing and music are universally taught, and yet geniuses do not arrive in crowds. We are assured by some that the musical decadence of Italy was caused by the exclusion of foreign compositions from its shores, so that Italians failed to secure the progress which comes from, quote, free trade in music. This may be true enough in cases of countries where the original fount of music is a shallow one, but if technical ability and brisk free trade in art products are prime causes in the production of geniuses, we might expect, quote, turners to abound had we plenty of persons to teach us color mixing and exhibitions to exploit the pictures. Men forget how to pronounce nobly when they have nothing noble to pronounce, and they can never have much of a gospel if club and concert room be taken as their chief sources of inspiration. The eternal may not be scientifically demonstrable, but leave it out of art, especially out of musical and vocal art, and you fail to reckon with an integral part of the organic whole. The symphonic form has been with us since Beethoven, and some few know all about its construction. Some, knowing how, have even written symphonies. 
but Beethoven remains a lone god upon the mountain height. True, he knew, quote, how to do, but he also knew he had something to do. Spiritual activities are not to be discouraged if art is to grow in power. To tell us that we rant if we talk of genius, and to focus our attention on technique as our summum bonum is to fetter us. Technique and science are indispensable, but a noble creative power compels a noble technique and uses it to express original and unconventional thought. This technical science is shown in musical and poetic vitality, wide as the universe, and dependent upon eternal spirit. All those whose vocal work was worthy of association with great compositions practically took a leaf out of the composer's book and reared their vocal art fabric upon the same foundation as musical creators used for theirs. It matters not how the artist may comport himself, he can at the last do no more than present the original composition to his audience. To put it simply, the vocalist does his work worthily when he makes the thought and the sung word correspond, just as the composer may be said to rise to the situation when he makes the thought in the word and the musical interval and phrase agree with each other. Very simple and natural, all this, and very destructive of abracadabra and hocus-pocus. Very effective, too, for the supreme powers of the vocal stage have been not plastic gymnasts or innervating colorists, but men and women who have conveyed through their tone quality a true and sincere representation of the poet's thought, wedded to the musician's idea of that thought. Line and color are inseparable from an artist's presentation of the eternal thought or concept, the amalgam of words and music. But they are not the primary force. A poet, quote, sees down into the heart of things. A true musician hears down into the heart of things. Both poet and musician see and hear with their own eyes and ears, and they reproduce that which they see and hear. The composer does not hear a whole symphony to start with, but he hears the idea. The architect does not see the whole fabric in detail of a cathedral. He sees the idea. The vocalist, having disciplined his mind to grasp, and his voice to utter, poetic-minded thought, listens for the original song, hears it, and says, in effect, this is how it sounds to me. Many internal and external causes have dwarfed our vocal art, but no greater mischief-maker ever existed than the suggestion that Belcontists were, originally, musical mountebanks and that modern vocalists are to be nothing but emotional gymnasts. Created musical thought exists and is the united resultant of music and poetry, being just as surely a structure for all its invisibility as that of the architect. The result of Sims Reeves singing was such that one could, were one a painter, translate it into a painter's language. It possessed a quality which could be reproduced. The end of all emotional exercise is coordinate thought, which is capable of bringing other thought, not necessarily of the same order, into existence. And this thought is manifested in all art products, musical, pictorial, or plastic. The real operatic composer is the man who sets character in the making on the stage. The real singer is the man who reveals character in the act of dealing with thought. 
To hold the opposite view is to confess oneself the half-grown puppet of a stunted aestheticism. The creative artist passes through emotion to contemplation or sympathetic observation. He leaves mental agitation behind and presses forward to the constructive activity that lies beyond. In the words of Browning, from Pippa Passes, Shall to produce form out of unshaped stuff be art, and further to evoke a soul from form be nothing? Character engaged upon characterization is ever more fruitful than emotionalism engaged upon emotion. The stunted aesthete may shriek sentimentality at those who refuse line and color as the sole essentials of art, but the full-grown, able-bodied, able-souled artist has no ears for him. Aestheticism lends itself to posing, and the poser eye sees nothing but posing all around. If we are ever to have natural art, we cannot afford to leave out of our reckoning any principle which is characteristic of universal nature. Every mental and psychic quality known to and recognized by sane men must be in natural art. Construction is as characteristic of men as it is of beavers, which take all they want to construct their dams. The contemplative and the constructive are the goal of the vocal artist. Note. Contemplation succeeds in the artist's mind to emotionalism, and out of it comes abstract thought. Differentiation of emotions is only a means to an end, that end being mood delineation and characterization. These in turn enable the artist to arrive at objective portrayal of character, throughout a series of moods and scenes, which portrayal finally assumes proportions of equal magnitude and importance with the composer's work. In one word, emotional activity is the blending of the colors while singing is the picture painted and finished. At bottom, all this amounts to a plea for unity of design. This concludes the first part of Chapter 4, What is Singing? Continued. Uh, please stay tuned for our first commentary on The Singing of the Future by David Francon Davies. Thanks for listening.